Let's take our Bibles. How many of you brought your Bible with you this morning? Will you hold it up all over the building? I want to ask you to join me, if you will, in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, chapter number 24. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, page number 1034, if you have an old Schofield Bible, all right? And if you'll just join me there, very first book of the New Testament. I want to read some verses here in just a moment. And then I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open and follow me along and listen this morning. I'll tell you this, this is one of those messages that if you check out on me for a little while and then you try to drop back in later on, uh, you're going to be lost. And uh, so I don't know how uh, other, uh, any other way to say it. If you don't get it up front, you ain't going to get it. You're going to leave here scratching your head saying, huh, what did he say? And by the way, I've heard some preaching like that before that I've left saying, huh, what he say? But I don't want you to do that this morning. If you'll just bear with me through some of this, and we'll get down to the meat of the matter here in a moment. Matthew chapter 24 and page number 1034. Leave your Bibles open and follow me along. Don't forget our service this afternoon at 530. I sure hope you'll be back for that. And I'm looking forward. You wear your mask, whatever you need, bring your Lysol, whatever you need to do. But come on to church tonight. Uh, somewhere along the way, we're just going to have to start trusting God. And can I tell you, you can't do any better than just trust the Lord. Amen. That's the best you can do is just trust the Lord. So I hope you'll be here 530 for the service this afternoon. Matthew 24, if you're there, would you say amen? I want you to look this way if you will. You know, in the light of all that has happened recently, one of the questions that's being asked by a lot of people in our day is this. Does any of this have anything to do with the second coming of the Lord Jesus and the end of time as we know it? Now, you think about all that we've seen just in the last couple of weeks. Of course, in the last, what, not even 10 months. Does any of this really, is there, is there, a, is there a rhyme uh, to the reason? Is there a reason to the rhyme? I mean, does any of this have anything to do with the end of time? Well, i got to say this morning, as an answer to that question, a very emphatic yes. With all the unction and the function of my soul this morning, I have to tell you that all that we've seen in the last 10 months has certainly got something to do with the end of time. I'm talking about the spread of the coronavirus, the pandemic, and the push for and now the development of a, of a vaccine. I can clearly see that we are approaching the end of time. I got to thinking about all that with that coronavirus and now this uh, the vaccine that is rolled out. You know, we're getting ready for the issue of the 666 or the mark of the beast. And all of this is nothing more than just a precursor, a harbinger of things that's to come. I mean, this world is getting us ready, or not getting us, we're going to be out of here, but it's getting itself ready to receive the mark of the beast. I mean, you stop and think about this. Everywhere you go now, you're scanned for something. I mean, you can't even come to church at 8.30 or Wednesday night without being scanned. I mean, I walked in the door at about 25 after 8 this morning. First thing they did, and, they, and, and we want that to happen, but first thing they did is they said, come here, we're going to scan you, and they stuck something up to my forehead, and then I went to the hospital the other day over at Forsyth. They got this like TV thing and you just go and you stand in front of it, see a picture and it takes your temperature. But I went across the street, the medical park the other day, and before I could go up to visit, they said, hey, can we have your right hand? Forehead, right hand. 
Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you'll know that at the end of time, before you can buy or sell or do anything in this world, you're going to have to have a number. You're going to have to have something that shows that you are a part of the world system and it's going to be contained in your forehead or in your... Can you not see that we are seeing the setting up for all of this stuff. They're talking about a patch now rolling out before too long that you'll be able to put on. And even the, the rumors are that if you don't receive the vaccine, that you'll not be able to fly in the United States or internationally. You'll probably, it's going to boil down, rumor has it, even to the fact that they won't let you into Walmart or places like that unless you can show evidence of the fact that you have had the shot, the vaccine for the coronavirus. I said, all I'd say this, man, oh boy, it's getting good, ain't it? I'm telling you, we are right at the end of time. And then we see all that's taking place in our nation. You know, the Lord Jesus made a statement one time in the Gospel of Matthew, and He said this, A house divided against itself cannot stand. And boy, has our nation, have we ever seen a time when we are divide, as divided as we are today? I wouldn't be at all surprised. And please, I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm not trying to scare people this morning, but I could easily see a civil war breaking out in our nation this coming Wednesday. I don't know. I'm not predicting that. I hope it doesn't happen. My heart was grieved when I saw that it took place in our capital of the day. I wouldn't hoo-poo it, yip-yip and hooray. I wouldn't man egging them on. I, I, my heart was hurt by that. That's not who we are in America. We're not some third world country, but even today we're seeing God set aside the United States of America because we know that at the end of time, our nation is not one of the prominent players on the, on, the, on the grand scale of things at the end of time. We're not even prophesied or mentioned in the Bible, so evidently we have got to be set aside, and we see that setting aside as much as it grieves me. We see that happening right before our very eyes in America. A house divided against itself cannot stand. We're seeing that. So if you ask me, preacher, is all this, is this got some kind of meaning as we move toward the end of time? Is Jesus getting ready to come? 10,000 times, yes. Jesus is getting ready to come. But the message this morning is not about what is going on. That's not what we're talking about this morning. The message this morning is about what has gone on. I want to give you a date this morning, and as far as I'm concerned, it is one of, if not the most important date regarding Bible prophecy and the return of the Lord Jesus and the coming of the tribulation period. Here is a date you need to have written in your Bible somewhere. Look up on the screen. It is the date of May the 14th, 1948. Now, most of us in here, most of us in our, in that early service, there weren't too many of us, uh, too many that were born prior to that date. Most of us in here were not even alive on May the 14th of 1948. In fact, unless you are 72 years of age or older, you were not even alive on May the 14th of 1948. But let me tell you a little bit about that date. That was a Friday. It was Friday, May the 14th, 1948. 
The World, World War II had been over for just a couple of years. And what makes that date so important is this. That was the day that the nation of Israel was once again declared to be a state after 2,000 years of non-existence, of being in exile. They raised the flag May the 14th, 1948 with the six-sided star of David on it and said, we're going to call ourselves the nation of Israel. You see, at the end of World War I, Britain took control over the land of Palestine. In 1918, Britain itself issued a declaration called the Balfour Declaration, which declared it was their intent to one day start a Jewish state in the land of Palestine much to the dismay of all the Arabs in that region, that part of the world, much to their hatred and dismay and disdain, the, the nation of Britain, England, said, we're going to start a Jewish state in the land of Palestine. Well, on May the 14th, 1948, the British pulled their troops out of the land of Palestine, and at 12 o'clock that day, May the 14th, 1948, Israel stepped up and declared itself to be a state and to be a nation. And the very next day, May the 15th, 1948, they were attacked by five Arab nations, the nation of Egypt, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, and Iraq. They were outmanned, they were outgunned, and they were outnumbered. And they, those nations gathered together for one purpose, and that was to destroy the state of Israel, which was one day old. But by the time the war was over, though they were less equipped, outnumbered, outmanned, outgunned, the Jews had not only fought off their attackers, they had also gained control of the area of Galilee, the seacoast of Israel, and the western part of the city of Jerusalem. You can't stop that which God has declared and decreed. Now, you're probably sitting out this morning and saying, Preacher, thank you for telling us all that. But what in the world does all of that have to do with Bible prophecy, the end of time, and you and me? This morning, I want to invite you to tune in. Let me stop this morning and read to you some verses now. We're going to be dealing with this text, but I want you to look at Matthew 24 and look at verse number 32. Here's what the Bible said. Now learn a parable. In the words of the Lord Jesus himself, learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. Jesus said, when you see a fig tree start to get some leaves on it, you can tell it's about summertime. Well, in verse number 34, so likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it, the it is the second coming, that it, the second coming, is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation, this generation, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Jesus here tells us, all right now, if you want to know what time it is, prophetically speaking, look at the fig tree. Now, you and I would think, what in the world does a tree have to do with the second coming? Well, you've got to understand that the fig tree and the nation of Israel throughout the Bible was represented by three different trees 
in the Bible. The first tree, and by the way, these three trees represent three different periods in the history of the nation of Israel. Now, the first tree that we're told about in the Bible, the nation of Israel, that represents the nation of Israel, is the vine. The vine in the Old Testament. Israel was God's vine in the Old Testament. This represents the time of the nation of Israel up and from the time that they actually uh, became a nation up until the time that they rejected the Lord Jesus as their Messiah, as the Savior. God said, Israel is my vine, my vine. All throughout the Old Testament, God speaks of that nation being like a vine. For instance, in the book of Psalms, chapter number 80 and verse number 8, we read these words, Thou hast brought, speaking of God, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Where was Israel at when they become a nation? They were down in the land of Egypt. The Bible said, Thou hast cast out the heathen, speaking about the Canaanites, and God planted, uprooted that vine out of Egypt, and He brought it over there, ran out the inhabitants of Canaan, and God stuck that vine down in the soils of the land of Canaan. God planted it there. Admit, they're His vine. We read again in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 5. The Bible says this, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of, say it with me, is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. So in the Old Testament, God, the nation of Israel, is represented as the vine. God did everything he could to cause that vine to produce fruit. God put it in a fruitful hill. God planted it in fruitful soil. It got ample sunshine. It got to ample rain and waters. It was rained and watered and nourished by the milk in Canaan, by the milk and honey in the land of Canaan. God blessed that vine. God prospered that vine. And then God came down from heaven and he looked for some return from that vine, some fruit from that vine. And God sent his prophets down and those prophets came looking for some return for God for his vine. By the way, if you belong to God, there ought to be some fruit in your life, friend. There ought to be something in evidence to the fact that you are God's property. But when those prophets begin to look, in Isaiah chapter number 5, we read this. The Bible said they looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth all right, but it brought forth wild grapes. So God said, then that, that vine, my vine, is not producing like I think it ought to produce. And it, they won't listen to my prophets. So I'm going to send my son down there. I'm going to send my son. He's the heir. They'll love him. So over in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 12, we read these words. The Bible said, Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved. Can I say that Jesus is God's well-beloved son? He's God's only begotten son. He's the only one of his kind. I know I'm a son of God. You're the sons and the daughters of God, but God's got only one well-beloved son, and that's his son, Jesus. And the Bible said God sent his son, his well-beloved. He sent him also unto them, saying, this, uh, this, uh, they will reverence, they will reverence my son. But we read on at but those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. So the Bible said, And they took him and killed him. And the Bible said, They cast him out of the vineyard. And so God became through. God set aside with the death of his son on the cross of Calvary. God set aside the vine in the Old Testament. And now Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman, praise the Lord. Yes, sir. They were vine. 
But then we read another tree that they're like in the Bible that represents the nation of Israel. That's the olive tree. Over in the book of Romans chapter number 11, we read that Israel represents, represented by the olive tree, and that represents the nation of Israel as it shall be one day down the road in the future. You see, we know that when they crucified the Son of God, when they rejected the Holy Ghost and they crucified the Son of God, the Bible said that God broke off the natural branches of the olive tree. And God picked up some old wild, scraggly-looking branches of the Gentiles. And God broke off the Jewish limbs, and God grafted into that olive tree the Gentile limbs. You see, God intended for His people to enjoy the privileges of being His own unique people. And they had those privileges, and yet they forfeited those privileges when they crucified the Son of God. So God said, okay, that's good. You can do that if you want to. And God broke those branches off and cast them aside. God grabbed up a bunch of old scraggly Gentiles like you and like me, and God stuck us in, and, and now we enjoy the privileges of being the people of God. But one of these days, God's going to be done with the Gentiles, and God's going to go back and pick up those, those olive branches, and he'll graft them back in that tree, and Israel will once again enjoy and experience the place that God intended for them to have. Stop and think about it like this. Did you know something? If you were a Gentile in the Old Testament and you wanted to know God, you had to go see a Jew. But in the New Testament day, if you're a Jew and you want to know God, you got to go see a Gentile. <laughs> hey, did you know something in the Old Testament? If God had something to say, he spoke in Hebrew. But you know in the New Testament, God's got something to say. He's spoken in Greek, the language of the Gentiles. I don't rejoice over the fact that Israel set aside God and God set aside Israel, but I sure do rejoice over the fact that God found me as just an old scraggly old thorn bush one day and he picked me up by his grace and stuck me in the tree and I've enjoyed the privileges and the blessings of God that God intended for us to have. Amen. Olive tree. God's not through with the Jew. Don't you let this crowd, this, uh, uh, this uh, crowd that's talking about, you know, God's cast off his people and we're now the, the, the chosen people of God. No, sirree. God's going to deal again with the nation of Israel in the future. They're the olive tree. But right now, Israel's the fig tree. You see, from the time they rejected Christ up until the time they accept Christ, they're pictured in the Bible as the fig tree. And, and in our text this morning, we find the Lord Jesus simply saying this, when the tree comes back, I'll be back. Watch that tree. Watch that fig tree. And when that fig tree comes back, look out. I'm coming back. Can I have an amen? And we see that in our text this morning. I want you to notice a couple of things. I know I've already preached, but can I preach a little bit more about this? I'm kind of a little bit excited about it this morning. But I want you to think with me. Back a couple of chapters earlier, we have the miracle of the fig tree. Back in chapter 21, if you'll just flip back there for just a moment, chapter 21, about verse number 18, we find the Lord Jesus is on His way into the city of Jerusalem just a couple of days, a day or two away before he is to be crucified. And the Bible said that as he enters the city that morning, he's hungry. And he comes to a fig tree. And this fig tree has foliage 
but it doesn't have any fruit. It has leaves, but there are no figs. And Jesus, the Bible said in that chapter, chapter 21, about verse 18 or 19, the Bible said that Jesus cursed that tree and presently, I'd be like our way of saying, and immediately it withered away. Immediately it died. By the way, out of the 35 miracles recorded that Jesus did in the New Testament, this is the only miracle in judgment that he ever did. This is the only time that he exercised judgment in a miracle. And the Bible said that when he came to that fig tree, picked up the leaves, wanted to get some figs off of it, there were no figs, only leaves. Again, a picture of the nation of Israel. They had all the rituals, all the routines. They went through all the motions of their religion, but there was no fruit there. There was external evidence, uh, external uh, examples, but there was no internal evidence of a relationship with God. And the Bible said that Jesus cursed that tree, and the miracle of miracles, that tree immediately died died, speaking of the nation of Israel. When they crucified the Son of God, God placed them under a curse. When that crowd said, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, and Pilate said, what then shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? They said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. And ladies and gentlemen, from that day to this day, the blood of the Son of God has been upon the heads of the nation of Israel, and they have died. They have gone away. They, they have perished. They have no life. Whatsoever. That's the miracle of the fig tree. But Jesus in our text talks about the parable of the fig tree. And that's what I want to deal with this morning, the parable of the fig tree. Listen, can I tell you something? The greatest sign that Jesus is soon coming is not the coronavirus. It's not the scanning. Give me your right hand. I, I didn't. I probably should have shouted in, there in the lobby of the hospital that morning. She said, let me have your right hand. I said, whoop, yeah, there you go. Scan to go to church. Scan to go to the doctor's office. Scan back yonder to go to Walmart. Man, they're just getting ready, getting us ready for the scan. But I'm glad, friend, I'm going to be out of here. There ain't going to be nothing to scan for God's people. We're leaving out of here someday. But that's not the greatest sign that Jesus is coming. The setting aside of the nation of, of the United States of America as traumatic and as heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching as it is. That's not the greatest sign that Jesus is coming. But bless your heart, May the 14th, 1948, God said when that tree comes back, I'll be back. So what do we learn from this? Three things. Look in this text this morning. First of all, let's talk a little bit about the mystery of this parable. The mystery of the parable. Now learn, verse 32, a parable of the fig tree. Now wait a minute, we've already seen that, that fig tree was cursed. we already seen just a couple of chapters earlier, it withered. we already seen a few chapters earlier, it died. But Jesus said, hey, it's going to live again. Jesus said, I'm not done with that yet. I know it's dead now, but it'll come back to life once again. Where there was no life. Prior to May the 14th, 1948, there was no foliage. There was no fruit. Prior to 1948, on May the 14th, 1948, the branches of that old tree began to lift again. The leaves began to sprout again. The fruit began to hang off the, the limbs again. It's alive. It's alive. That tree did not die once and for all. It is alive once again. It, here's the mystery behind all that. 
You know, every nation that has ever been defeated and uprooted off their land and scattered throughout the whole world, every nation that has had that to happen to them, that nation ceased to exist. I mean, you stop and think about it. If a a group of people is uprooted off... For instance, if, if Russia attacked the United States and carried us and said, okay, the United States is no more. We're going to spread this crowd out. Eventually, our children would marry children of the culture that we, we find ourselves in. The, our grandchildren will marry into that culture, and eventually, guess what? We'll lose our identity. We'll, that we'll cease to be Americans somewhere down the road. Every nation that has ever been attacked uprooted and scattered throughout the whole world has disappeared. They've been absorbed. They've been immersed into other countries. It's known as the law of assimilation. If we're carried up, carried off into another country, centuries down the road, scattered abroad, we will cease to exist. For instance, in the Bible, there's a nation called Canaan. The Canaanites in the land, in, in the Bible, we know that the Canaanites were defeated. They were uprooted off their land. They were scattered out. Tell me something. Name me one Canaanite you know today. Now, you know some people that raised Cain at night. I know you know some people like that. But you don't know no Canaanites. What about, what about the Philistines? There was a nation in the Bible called Philistia. The people of Philistia were called Philistines, but they were attacked. They were defeated. They were uprooted. They were scattered. Name me one Philistine you know today. What about Babylon? The Babylonian Empire was attacked by the Medo-Persian Empire. They were uprooted. They were carried off. They were defeated. They were scattered. Name me one Babylonian you know today. But that is not true with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel has been defeated. They have been scattered. They have been carried abroad. And yet to this day, they retain their identity. No matter how many times they're defeated, uprooted, or scattered abroad, they keep their identity everywhere they go. They're known as Jewish people. Now, wait a minute. Here in America, we're a land of immigrants. I even saw, now that we're in the Biden area, bless your heart, I even saw where there's 1,000 people traveling from Honduras toward the borders of the United States. Here we go again. And they're calling on President Biden to keep his commitment to open borders. Here we go again. You're welcome. Here we go. Our nation is a nation of immigrants. For instance, we have Polish-Americans. Italian-Americans, German-Americans, African-Americans, and what we are, Appalachian-Americans. We got all that, but we don't have Jewish-Americans. We have American Jews, but we don't have Jewish-Americans. That's true in Russia. Russia is a land of many immigrants, but there are no Jewish-Russians. There are only Russian-Jews. No matter where they go, They remain a gulf stream in the ocean of humanity. Just like this fig tree, it was cursed. It died. It withered away. Ladies and gentlemen, the nation of Israel was cursed. They died. They withered away for 2,000 years. They were exiled 2,000 years. They discontinued. There was. But on May the 14th, they gathered back together and said, Okay, bless your heart. We're going to be a nation. And the fig tree came back to life again. The mystery 
of this parable. They've never been absorbed. They've never been consumed. They've never been immersed. They've never been assimilated into another country. They retain their identity, friend, the mystery of this parable. But not only is there the mystery of this parable, there's the miracle of this parable. What is the miracle? The miracle is simply this. The Jews cannot... The Jews cannot only be not assimilated. Guess what? The Jews can't be exterminated. You can't get rid of them. How many times through the history of our world of civilization has somebody rose up and said, I'm getting rid of them Jews. They're done for. I am going to exterminate those people. You know, the very first time we meet old Moses in the Bible, Remember the story? He's on the backside of the desert watching his father-in-law Jethro's sheep on the backside of the desert. And wonder of wonders, he sees a bush that's on fire. And, and by the way, that's, that's, not a, that's not an amazing fact that a bush is on fire in a desert. We know the desert's dry. It's a very arid place, dry. You know, bushes, cactuses, tumbleweeds, all kind of bushes in the desert. But what made this bush so different was this. It burned and it burned and it burned, but it was not consumed. You know why? God was in the bush. Friend, I want to tell you something. The nation of Israel, just like any other nation, they can burn and they can burn and they can burn, but they will not cease because God is in the nation of Israel. The mystery of all of this. Yes, sir. I mean, you stop and think about this. The nation of Israel cannot be destroyed. You know why they can't be destroyed? Because God said they won't be destroyed. God said that. I don't care how many people, I don't care how many nukes that Iraq fires at them. I don't care how many, how many uh, nations in this world. We know that Russia and the satellites and Germany and all those nations are going to come down in the middle of the tribulation period and fight with the nation of Israel. But no matter how many nukes are shot at them, how many tanks rumble through the land, they cannot be destroyed because God said they can't be destroyed. Let me read it to you. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is His name. That verse says this, God put the sun in the sky, God put the moon in the stars, God tells the oceans how far it can and cannot go. That's the God of this Bible. And that God said this, it said, if those ordinances depart, from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. But God is saying, as long as the sun shines, as long as the stars twinkle, as long as the moon appears, as long as the nation roared, there will be a nation of Israel. And there's not one thing anybody can do about it. Pharaoh tried to drown them in the Red Sea and God parted the waters and they went across on dry ground. And when Pharaoh tried to do it, God got his heavenly air wrench out and loosened the lug nuts off the wheels of the chair. And right in the middle of the Red Sea, the waters came in and destroyed the crowd that tried to destroy God's people. Hammond tried to hang them on the gallows in the book of Esther and God flipped the switch and before long it was hanging. Hammond hanging on his own gallows he intended for the people of of God. Nebuchadnezzar tried to burn them in the ovens of Babylon, but it wasn't long till they were walking around in the fire, and the fourth one was walking with them. I'm telling you, you can't get rid of those people. They're God's people. Amen. Oh, Hitler tried to kill them, tried to exterminate them all in, in the Second World War. 
Hartley Shawcross was a famous British uh, lawyer who defended the Jews in the famed Nuremberg trials at the end of World War II. And old uh, Hartley Shawcross, he, uh, he uh, describes some of the atrocities that were done to the Jewish people in the days of the Holocaust. Here's some of the things he said. Their hair was harvested for mattresses. Their tattooed skin was flayed to make lampshade coverings. The fat of their flesh was boiled to make soap. Their teeth were removed and the gold extracted for financial gain. Shawcross said that Hitler made murder a state industry, but he did not succeed in wiping out the people of God from the ocean of humanity. I tell you, all he did basically was create within the heart of those Jews a desire to go back to their homeland. And the Zionist movement was formed. It was born in the heart of Jews who for some reason got a desire. They got a burden to go back home. And even up to last year in the midst of a pandemic, 20,000 Jews from all over the world went back home to the land of Israel. You say, preacher, what's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. The fig tree is alive again. May 14, 1948. So we have the miracle. We have the, mess, uh, the, the, uh, the mystery. But here's what I wanted to get to, and that's this. What's the message of this parable? Well, the message of this parable is simply this. When the tree comes back, I'll be back. When the tree comes back, when the nation of Israel comes back, and I got to thinking about this, Brother Baker. There are three times in our Bible the nation went away and came back. And all three times they gave us something amazing. When they went back into the land, when they went down to the land of Egypt, when they came out, they gave us the Bible. When they went into Babylon and came out of Babylon, they gave us the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Himself. And then in A.D. 133, when they were attacked and scattered throughout the world, on May the 14th, 1948, they came back. They're going to give us the second coming of the Son of God. <laughs> I tell you, bless your heart. Listen to me. I know some of y'all are discouraged and defeated because I'm just as disgusted as y'all are over past events recently in our country. I've heard some of our people say, I think I'm just going to quit. God, let me down. Will you come up here for just a minute? Can I tell you something? Are you kidding me? God's let us down. God ain't let us down. God's just speeding up the process to get us out of here. And you want to pout and quit and get your ball and bat and go home? Who are you kidding, friend? We're this close to the second coming of Jesus and we're going to quit over that? I'm telling you, he's getting ready to drop out of heaven at any moment. I don't want him to find me home watching gun smoke on Sunday night. I don't want to quit. No, sir, Jesus is coming again. Jesus said this, look at this, I'm so convinced about this. Look at verse 34, verily I say unto you, this generation, this generation. Now he's not talking about the generation he was speaking to in Matthew 24. He's talking about the generation he's speaking of. The generation that sees the rebutting the rebirthing of the nation of Israel. Seventy-two 
years ago. I'm not going to ask y'all. I'll put Brother Buddy on the spot. But how many of y'all were alive 72 plus years ago? Don't raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand then. How many of y'all were alive 72? How many of y'all are older than 72 years old? You raise your hand. You all won't go. You all won't die till Jesus comes again. Now I know you say, oh, preacher, you just set a date. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Jesus said in verse 36, of that day and hour knoweth no man. I'm not setting any dates. But I tell you, bless your heart what I know. This generation will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. And as I close this morning, when He does come, there's only going to be two types of people on this earth. Only two. Not Democrats and Republicans. Not Tar Heels and Blue Devils. Not Red Sox and Yankees. The only two types of people. Look at verse number 40 and we're done. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be. What's the word? All right, let's read it again. I want you to get it. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be and the other. Everybody in this room will either be in the taken crowd or will be in the left crowd. And can I tell you something? I just looked this up between services. You check behind me. The word taken there in Matthew 24, 40 and 41 is the same word receive in John 14, 3. Same word. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Hannity didn't say that. Jesus did. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe on my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go away and prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you. Same word. Take you unto myself. That where I am, and you're going to quit. Have you lost your cotton? It's one thing to lose your mind, but have you lost your cotton picking mind? You're going to quit. You're going to throw in the cloud this close to home. You're going to give up because your man didn't get in the White House. Are you kidding me? These are the most exciting days in the world to be alive. This is the generation that's going to welcome the coming of Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. I believe it. When I was growing up, when I was growing up, and we do it now, it's with my grandchildren now. So when my grandchildren come to the house, and we go outside and they'll swing a little bit or whatever, and I'll say, what y'all want to play? Hide and seek, Papa. Hide and seek, Papa. And for some reason, I'm always it. I know I look like an it, but for some reason, I'm always an it. And you know, you played it when you were young. You know how it goes. So it finds a tree or whatever, and it starts counting. And it counts to 100. You know how we do that? 1, 2, 3, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40. And you count. And when you get to the end of the count, here's what you say. Ready or not, here I come, May the 14th, 1948. Jesus said, one, two, three, four, 
47, 53, 92, 93, 97, 98, 99. And he's getting ready to say, Ready or not, here I come. And everybody's either going to be in the taken crowd or in the left crowd. If you know Jesus, atmosphere, hemisphere, stratosphere, out of here. Left behind, the Bible said men's hearts are going to fail them for fear, for things coming upon the earth. Men will literally be scared to death. Literally in the tribulation period. We say that sometimes. Man, that scared me to death. It didn't scare us to death. But in the tribulation period, men will literally be scared to death. Scan me while you can. Because I'm getting ready to leave. Amen and amen. Because when the tree comes back, I'll be back. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning, I pray first of all,